0: Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now, let's learn some real history. Welcome back to the podcast where TLDR does not apply and the study of history is a way of life absolutely every single day of the week and where the founding fathers are the celebrities that we appreciate. They have, they're, they're the only celebrity value that we need. Some people look towards, you know, music stars, rock stars. To me, you know, people like John Adams and Dr. Franklin, they are the rock stars that I look to for uh, inspiration. And perhaps that makes me a very unusual American, but that's fine. I am in good company with both the Founding Fathers and the members of the study group here on the podcast, so thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about Dr. Warren. We're actually going to, ta- we're actually going to go to some more modern information that has uh, been discussed about Dr. Warren, something that perhaps other people will, wouldn't think to go to, sources other people wouldn't think to go to, that is about a discussion uh, regarding Dr. Warren. So I'm going to I'm going to do that. Before we do that though, I'm going to cover some reviews, some comments left by members of the study group. Because why not? That's what we do here. We like to engage in discussion. And I got a couple of great comments here. Uh the first one is going to come by way of uh someone who shall uh, only go by uh 2237. I'm just going to call them Agent 2237 because they've got a uh, more of a numeric, uh, well, an uh, alpha alphabet numeric username on Apple Podcasts. So I'll just call them Agent 2237. And this is going to be a comment regarding the independent states. So I'm glad somebody uh, is is wanting to talk a little bit about that or offer up a comment about the independent states, because it's a good discussion to have. It's the discussion that the American people, by and large, especially the people in the media and politicians and so on and forth, they don't like to talk about. I don't know why that these are supposed to be 50 independent states that we have here. But let's read this. Quote, In the movie National Treasure, Nick Cage has a line about how, before 1860, people would say the United States are. After that, they started saying the United States is. They say that like it was a great and good change. I suspect that, like me, you would disagree. Better continue to think of them as separate entities. End quote. I, gen- I I really agree with that sentiment as, as much as um, as well as uh, Agent 2237 articulates it, I totally agree that, yes, and I do recall that uh, that line in National Treasure." It was actually the second movie where he said that, and he's talking about that that, that one was largely about the Civil War. And by the way, that was not the first historic inaccuracy that they got in that movie. Actually, the first historic inaccuracy, and there's a lot of it because it's not a, it's not a true, it's not supposed to be a 100% true story, obviously. it's It's kind of made up history built around the factual happenings at the time. But there was one fact that they reported in that movie that was incorrect, and that was that Abraham Lincoln was killed after the Civil War ended, which he was not. The Civil War was actually still ongoing at the time. I don't know why some people think that it happened afterward. I, I really have no idea. But anyway, uh, but yeah, there was also that line where he, where he did mention the independent states, you know, the United States are versus the United States is. And that's, by the way, that is true. In most of the Founding Fathers' writing, especially John Adams, he frequently refers to the United States as the United States are, not the United States is. And I I I lo- I like that about John Adams, and that's kind of my mindset as well as it is Agent 2237 over here on Apple uh, Apple uh, podcast who left the comment. It is not good to think of the United States as one monolithic thing and it and that's the cuz that's the genesis of all of our problems making everything a federal issue. Every time something happens in your state you want, everybody wants to go crying to big daddy. Go we got to go call big daddy to come out here and fix it for it. We got a problem like that going on in the states now everybody's complaining about Big Daddy not fixing the problem, Big Daddy's making the problem worse, Big Daddy's not doing this, Big Daddy's not helping here, Big Daddy's not doing following these rules. Well, you know what? Why don't you just take care of it yourself? There's a thought. As an independent state, I hear a lot of people from that state specifically, there's one particular state that I have in mind. I hear a lot of people from that one state in particular complaining about the problem, but they don't seem to want to do anything about it, They don't seem to want to hold anybody's feet to the fire locally. Instead, they keep complaining about Big Daddy. Well, newsflash, you can't do anything about Big Daddy. Big Daddy's out of your control. So what do you say you do something about it locally? And if you don't want to do anything about it locally, then shut up. There is one particular state in this country right now today that I really wish would either do something or shut up. And some people will say, well, they are doing something. No, they're not. No, they're not. Believe me, you don't want me to get into details on that. I'll tear it up. I'll tear it up six ways to Sunday. But yes, we are independent states. We're supposed to be. And it's time to act like it. And no, the independent states and the union are not mutually exclusive. I've talked about this before. Most of the work is relegated to the states. The the general government isn't supposed to be doing like 80% of what it's doing. It's just not. So there you go. So thank you to Agent 2237 for bringing that up again. And yes, in popular culture, in movies like National Treasure... That really ridiculous sentiment that, you know, this country is supposed to be one big monolithic thing kind of takes over, but it's not supposed to. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And I like the National Treasure movies, by the way. There aren't a lot of movies made like that that are just fun movies to watch about the Founding Fathers. Especially the fr- I like especially the first movie, National Treasure. Obviously, it's a fictitious story, basically, about a treasure and this, that, and the other thing, but it's built around this concept of the Declaration of Independence and the Founding. And I really appreciate that. It was a, it was a good movie. At least it was entertaining, and it talked positively about the Declaration of Independence and the founding of the country, and so on and so forth. Not a lot of movies do that. Okay, I'll take what I can get. But uh, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure Agent 2237 here likes the uh, National Treasure movies too. But was smart enough to notice and smart enough to point out that yes, there are these little oddities about it that uh, those of us here on the study group do disagree with. So thank you for that. And I'll read another comment here. This one is left by uh, Jared, longtime contributor to the uh, study group. And uh, this is going to be another lengthy comment, which I'll probably actually read in its entirety because it's got, it's got some interesting stuff in it and it's got an interesting conversation that he had in it and some, uh, some details about that. You know, I don't mind reading some of the lengthy comments now because Jared and a couple of other folks are carrying a lot of weight for the study group. The rest of you folks on the study group got to pick up your game. You know, you got to leave some comments here and there like these other folks are doing so that we can um, have some good discussions about this stuff. There is one part of this uh, this this comment that I will have to redact because I it kind of verges on partisan, political kind of, sort of, maybe. It's not Jared's fault. He didn't mention him by name. But I'll redact the title anyway, just because. Starting off here, and I quote, Hey, Roman, over the weekend I got into a debate, disagreement... With a few of my followers on X. If you're not on there, then you wouldn't have seen that Redacted had posted, You can't be pro insurrection and pro America. Libertarians and right leaning political pundits objected and posted many things about how our founding fathers and the colonists that fought for America were, in fact, insurrectionists. That's when I popped my fingers and went to work. I rebutted. I disagree. With a lot of the comments here, the colonists were not insurrectionists. The British were the insurrectionists. The British attempted to overthrow the free and independent states and their constitutions. The colonists only told the British to F off, end quote. And actually, I'll read this next section here because I'll cover this block here in in my rebuttal. Continuing on, quote, now, there might be some inaccuracies with my second-to-last sentence, and I'm sure you can rephrase it into a more accurate sentence, but overall I felt the post would be Roman-approved, end quote. It generally is something that I would, I would agree with to answer your question, yes. Now, your second-to-last sentence, I take that to be this sentence here, quote, the British attempted to overthrow the free and independent states and their constitutions, end quote. That being the sentence I believe that you're referring to as your second-to-last, because it is the second-to-last. That is 100% true. That is exactly what they did, with just one exception, and that is that the, uh, it wasn't the states at the time. It was the colonies, but it's the same sentiment. So, I mean, that's kind of like just a minor detail, but the sentiment is exactly accurate. They did attempt to overthrow the legitimate government of Massachusetts. As a matter of fact, they, they outright did and installed a military dictator. His name was Thomas Gage. And then that not being enough, they sent more generals to augment the, uh, the terrorist Thomas Gage. Generals Howe, Clinton, and Burgoyne, amongst others, you know, eventually, and all the rest of it. But you get, you get the idea. And it was the British that set out, with guns in their hands on April the 19th of 1775, to destroy property, confiscate property, arrest people illegally, and, ev- or, or, and to kill anybody who got in their way. And they did. That's the insurrection. It's the British that did it, not us. But yes, so he's basically, what Jared's articulating here is this instigating comment. Quote, you can't be pro-insurrection and pro-America, end quote. And then people who are wrongfully thinking about what happened back then think to themselves, oh, absolutely not. That's not true. You can be pro-insurrection. The Founding Fathers were rebels. The Founding Fathers were revolting. The Founding Fathers were committing an insurrection. And they were committing treason and all the rest of it. And that's that's our glorious founding. And they're saying it in a positive light. That's our glorious Founding Fathers. They were rebels, and they were, they were defying authority, and they were da-da-da-da-da-da-da. None of that's true. None of it. They were adhering. Dr. Franklin has talked about this. Go back in the library of episodes, and anybody who doubts me on this one, Dr. Franklin will set you straight. Dr. Franklin articulates what the British were doing at the time as unconstitutional. That's what he said. The Founding Fathers, generally speaking, referred to the, these measures, the Intolerable Acts and other things, as violent measures. Unconstitutional. The Founding Fathers were defending what they believed to be the British Constitution. And on top of that, they were defending their legitimate governments. Example, Exhibit A, the colony of Massachusetts, their colonial charters, their local assemblies. They were defending that. It would be as if today, it would be like if today somebody came in, in into power, a tyrant of sorts, came into power and said, the Bill of Rights is no more. We're abolishing it. Just arbitrarily, abol- we're abolishing it. It's over. It's done. And then a bunch of people in an independent state said, no, this isn't the way this is going to happen, that we're not going to allow this, and then federal troops get sent in, and they overthrow the state constitution, they evict the governor, they disband the state legislature, they install a military dictatorship. Imagine that. And if the people defended themselves when that army, when those federal troops went out into the countryside to confiscate property or arrest people illegally or kill them, would that be an insurrection? No. No. Those people would be defending the United States Constitution. They would be defending their state constitutions, their state governor, and their state legislature. What I just described to you as an example of what of how this would look in the modern day is almost precisely what happened in 1774 and 75. How does that make the Founding Fathers insurrectionist? It doesn't. They were defending the British Constitution. They were defending their rights as British subjects. They were defending the legitimate government of Massachusetts. They were defending their colonial assemblies. And at the end of the day, on April 19th, they were defending their property. Plain and simple. So yes, Jared has it right. And Jared continues, quote, I got pushback from my followers, although not a whole lot. I got into a long-threaded discussion, but bottom line, when I asked who overthrew whose authority, nobody responded. It was as though asking that question flipped a switch in people's brains, and they didn't know how to answer the question to fit their narrative. And it's not even so much their narrative. It's something we've all been taught that the colonists revolted and rebelled against a three pence per pound tax, but it's just wrong. The Founding Fathers would have lived the rest of their days as British subjects had the British not overthrown the authority of the colonists with their interference. The British crossed the line, not the colonists. End quote. That is true. And the reason why people the reason why people cling to this so much that the the founding fathers were radicals. That's the other thing that I've heard a lot. Oh, the founding, those founding fathers, they were radicals. And people in, in a positive way, people talk about them like that in a positive way, not a negative way, calling them radicals as a positive. They weren't radical. They really weren't. They were very conventional, very traditional. The folks from John Adams' neck of the woods were really just, just a bunch of Puritans and or separatists or offshoots thereof living very traditional lives. The radicals would come later. There wasn't a whole lot radical about them, especially when you consider that they were just trying to adhere to the British Constitution, such as they saw it, and it was accurate. I mean, we, we talked a lot about that with the Magna Carta way back in the day and all the rest of it. There's a reason why I talked about that way back when. And yes, I and you're absolutely right. The Founding Fathers would have lived out the rest of their days as British subjects and been fine with that and been content with that. I read letter after letter after letter uh, talking about how they were amenable to reconciliation prior to this whole thing breaking out. So yes, Jared is right again. Now you can recommend to your your followers on Twitter or X, that they listen to this podcast if they want to get educated. I chances are most of them probably won't anyway, because getting people to listen to this podcast is like asking people to do push ups. I don't know why, but there you go. But continuing on, quote anyway, I wanted to share that and say your podcast has changed the way I view things in America, specifically politics. You've also helped me truly value and appreciate what the Founding Fathers did. For example, I was in D.C. about two months ago for work, and I had a great desire to the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. I never would have been so interested in seeing those docs before this podcast. When I saw these documents, I had a profound feeling of gratitude. It was an emotional and spiritual experience. I felt in my heart that these men, with all their flaws, were inspired of God to do what they did to make the country what it was. I feel there is yet a great reason God had them do what they did that maybe hasn't been known to us yet. Your most humble and obedient servant, Jared, end quote. Again, closing out with the uh, the classic Dr. Franklin and others uh, closing there. I really appreciate that. You just don't see that very often outside the letters from our founding fathers, but um, you know, reading the uh, the letters from our founding fathers inspires us to uh, kind of adopt more of their language and sensibility. Including going and viewing the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and all that stuff, and, and you know, and I really, uh, it's really awesome that you're actually able to go see those documents and to contemplate that. Uh, in my residence, I, for many, many years, I have a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Not a real copy; it's a, it's a replica, but a copy of the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and the Constitution hanging on my wall. Those three documents, and I look at them on a fairly regular basis. I actually also have a painting hanging on my wall. It's a, well, it's a it's it's a canvas art painting. I guess it's not like a real painting, but um, it's a copy of. I believe Jonathan Trumbull was the artist. It's called. I think it's called the Declaration of Independence. It's basically it's that famous painting of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. You got John John Adams standing right front and center in that painting. Thomas Jefferson and Doctor Franklin are up there too. Uh, that painting hangs right over my television, so anytime I'm watching TV for any length of time, naturally my eyes kind of migrate upward, and I start looking at that painting. And I contemplate all that those men went through, all that I read in these letters, all that I hear these Founding Fathers discuss, debate, articulate, and it is quite, um, quite sobering at times to understand exactly what it is that this country has been through and why the Founding Fathers did what they did quite a sacrifice on their part. So, thank you to Jared for leaving that comment. I really appreciate it. Again, carrying a lot of weight for the members of the uh, the study group by leaving so many comments and such lengthy comments on the podcast. Speaking of members of the study group, I did want to take a moment and give a shout out to some uh, some states in the union that are uh, that where the numbers and the downloads are increasing. I like to do this periodically. Uh, If I see an increase in numbers in a particular state, I like to point it out periodically. Uh, Shout out to Oregon. It is great to have Oregon here uh, represented on the podcast, and the numbers are going up, and I really appreciate that. South Carolina. It is great to have South Carolina here, one of our original states. And thank you to everybody in South Carolina who's sharing the podcast and getting the word out. I see numbers increasing in South Carolina, and I like that. Uh, And shout out to Colorado. Colorado. Colorado I've seen some increase in numbers there and I really appreciate the folks of Colorado participating by downloading the podcast and listening to what it is that the founding fathers had to say and our discussions around that a couple of other states that are still going strong that um, great numbers as well also increasing Georgia it's numbers have been going up there for a while I think I gave a shout out to Georgia before but it's doing it's doing very well Georgia thank you for that and Florida thank you to Florida really appreciate those uh Floridians who are downloading and listening to this podcast, and uh, hopefully I get some word from you folks out there in Florida. Leave a comment or something on the podcast, and that goes for you folks in Oregon, South Carolina, and Colorado. Make your presence known on the study group and that uh, your state in the union is represented. Now, what I'm going to talk about today in summary is really kind of the conclusions of the Battle of Bunker Hill, and I'll I'll cover some letters about that in probably the next episode of the podcast as well. It's going to be kind of a lengthy discussion, but I'm going to talk more about Dr. Warren again. I don't mind spending a little bit of time on Dr. Warren and a few episodes at that. Dr. Warren is kind of a unique character, and I'm not the only one who thinks so. Thank goodness. If I was, that that would worry me, but I'm not. Dr. Warren's death, like the death of so many other folks who died in the uh, the Revolutionary War, was most unfortunate. It didn't have to be this way. The folks in Great Britain didn't have to push this thing to the extreme and start sending out the regular army to harass and kill the people out there in the countryside of Massachusetts, but that's exactly what they did. People like Dr. Warren stood up and said, No, you're not going to do that. Not the last time the British would do this. I mean, you know, fast forward the war of 1812. It took a while before the British finally, you know, figured out that um, the way they were conducting themselves in regards to America and uh what was, you know, at the well, in 1775 and from the perspective of the uh, the revolution, or excuse me, the war of 1812, formerly British colonies, the way the Brit the British were conducting themselves was uh insanity. They were only hurting themselves by doing it. And it's a shame that people like Dr. Warren had to suffer the consequences of that. It really is. And, you know, like I said, there are, you know, there are, it's generally understood that Dr. Warren died sacrificing himself not just for what would become the United States of America, but just his fellow citizens and his friends, or I guess at the time, fellow British subjects. I shouldn't say citizens because they weren't at the time. But his fellow British subjects and his friends— out there on uh, Bunker Hill and the area of Charlestown and Breed's Hill, primarily. Now, many years after, you know, there have been books written about uh, the Battle of Bunker Hill. There's been a lot of commentary about Bunker Hill and, you know, how this all transpired. There's actually been some scientific inquiry into exactly what it is that happened on that hill, specifically about Dr. Warren and how Dr. Warren died. And did he die the hero that history has recorded him being? Or was it a different story? Is this just American mythology idolizing Dr. Warren, putting him up on a pedestal, saying that he was a great hero? Because that's what America needed. America needed the hero. America needed that sacrifice as a symbol. Well, modern science has, a, has an answer for us, ladies and gentlemen. I went out and I got a document from the, uh, the Journal of Neurosurgery. And this is also cataloged at the National Institutes of Health, under the National Library of Medicine. And just to name a few, you know, kind of a, a shout-out to uh, the folks involved in in putting this together, there was a Dr. Charles Prestigiacomo, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, a Peter Carmel, Dr. Peter Carmel, a Dr. Victor Sabarin, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and a Dr. Shirag Gandhi, who put this together. And I'm going to read to you what they had to say after analysis— of the injuries that Dr. Warren sustained using historic information and analysis of the actual wound in his skull. I'm going to read to you some uh, some brief statements that they, that they came to, the conclusions they came to, about what it was that transpired on Breed's Hill on June the 17th of 1775. And this is going to be fairly instructive. And again, You know, this is American history. This is the the truth about what happened. It's also British history. Shout out to those folks in the uh, the UK who randomly cruise into this podcast and usually don't stay for very long. This is British history as well. And this is going to come by way of the abstract from the document. And the title of the document is, and I quote, Joseph Warren, a discussion of his life and analysis of his death, end quote. From the abstract, quote, as his fellow soldiers ran past him, Joseph Warren stood bravely on Bunker Hill. It was June 17, 1775, and British troops were fighting the colonists in one of the early battles of the American Revolution. The British had already attempted two major assaults that day. The third would end with Warren's death. He was a medical doctor, public figure, and general who spent his life and last living moments fighting for freedom for the American colonists. After the battle, there was much confusion about what happened to Joseph Warren. Some thought he had survived the battle. Other accounts differed on how exactly he had died. The details of the events on Bunker Hill remained a mystery until the following year when Paul Revere helped identify Warren's body by the false teeth that had been implanted years earlier. Warren's remains showed that his head had been struck by a bullet. Analysis of the skull helped to sift through the differing tales of Warren's death and thus unveil the truth about what occurred that day. The smaller bullet wound in the left maxilla suggests that he was not shot while retreating with the rest of the soldiers. The larger exit wound in the right occupant illustrates that the bullet's trajectory crossed the midline of the brain and most likely injured the brain stem. Therefore, contrary to rumors that circulated at the time, Joseph Warren most likely was killed instantly at the Battle of Bunker Hill while heroically facing his enemy end quote, while heroically facing his enemy. So what they're describing here is by analysis of the skull, they can tell that the bullet entered the front of the skull and exited out the back. In other words, he was not shot while running away in retreat. He was shot while facing British soldiers in the trailing moments of that battle. Again, as we said on the previous episode, likely covering the retreat of his fellow soldiers. Keep in mind, again, this man was a major general in the militia. Now, from the, I'll, read to, I'll read to you also from the conclusion of the, of the paper, and I quote, Warren was respected by both the Americans and the British, and his loss was mourned by all. Even British General Howe could not believe the report he had received of Dr. Warren's death. When confirmed, he later say, stated that Dr. Warren's death was equal to the death of 500 men. If he had not perished on Bunker Hill, Warren most likely would have become more influential within the American political, military, and medical fields. Because of his popularity and experience as head of the Freemasons and several political committees, it is reasonable to assume that Warren would have played a prominent role in the early years of the United States government, whether as a prominent political official or in another position. Warren would have tried to create a country founded on his ideals of liberty. Although he died shortly after accepting the rank of Major General, had he survived, Warren might have played a large role in the Continental Army, helping to free the colonists from the British crown. Given his interests in medicine, had he not been killed, it is also reasonable to speculate whether Joseph Warren might have helped his brother John in the establishment of Harvard Medical School. Another possible path of Warren's life would have been accepting the previous offer of becoming a Surgeon General. Joseph Warren's life, which he spent using his interests in medicine, politics, and the military to help his community and country, tragically ended too soon, end quote. That is once again our dear friend, Dr. Warren. That document was uh, written in 2015, and I will try to put a link to it in the show notes, the episode of this podcast. Speaking of uh, Harvard college by the way or there was a reference to harvard medical school in this uh in this paper you ever notice how i cite my sources generally speaking here i mean i especially with the quote and end quote and where i get this stuff whether it's from a letter from a particular individual or in this case a document by way of the journal of neurosurgery so on so forth you ever notice how i cite my sources some rando dude on a podcast citing his sources like i do You think maybe Harvard University could learn a thing or two from somebody like me? Just a thought. But I don't think Harvard University is going to invite me out there to talk about this anytime in the near future. But shout out to Harvard University. If you would like to get educated on how to actually properly cite sources and whatnot, I can come out there and I can help you with that. Because apparently there's a problem out there in Harvard doing that, because it's come a long way from the likes of John Adams and Dr. Warren and all the rest of it. So there you go. I just thought I'd throw that in there because why not? But Dr. Warren's contribution to his community, Dr. Warren's contribution to what would become the United States of America, given his relatively short time on this earth, was incredible. If for no other reason than just his uh, his willingness to sacrifice and serve. Especially, again, when he didn't have to. He had a kind of status amongst the uh, the people of Massachusetts. He didn't need to be out there in that front line covering the retreat of his fellow soldiers, but he did. And that journal is uh, a well-written piece. I encourage you to actually follow the link in the show notes if I manage to put that in there. I'll try to. Uh, Follow that link and read that paper. It's, uh, It's not terribly long, but it is a good document. And there is some more of that that goes on throughout the war, people sacrificing a great deal and setting an example. I mean, leading by example is something that we have a hard time with today in the United States of America. Dr. Warren didn't have a problem with that, and neither did General Washington when he was in the field. When General Washington took command of the, uh, the army, almost right as Dr. Warren was being killed out there in Boston, Charlestown, that area, but roughly the same time as that battle was happening, General Washington was taking command of the, uh, what would become the Continental Army and eventually the, the Army of the United States. He also set an example. The whole time the country was at war, he almost never went back to his house. He was in the field the vast majority of the time. He was just right there. The war didn't really conclude until the early 1780s, 1783. That's a long time in the field. But he led by example. He probably thought to himself in some regard, you know, this isn't his exact words, obviously, but I imagine he probably thought to himself in some regard, If this army is going to be in the field, then by God, I am going to be in the field. That's what Dr. Warren felt. If those men are going to be on the front line getting shot at, then by God, I'm going to be on the front line getting shot at. And people wonder why. I know some people do. I know this for a fact. Wonder why I yell and shout about lackluster leadership from the top brass in the military today. Because I have this example before me. And I don't think. For one frickin' minute, most of the top brass in the Pentagon today really sit down and think long and hard about Dr. Warren or General Washington because their conduct does not bear a striking resemblance to theirs. That is to say, the the top brass in the Pentagon, uh, their conduct does not bear a resemblance to that of Dr. Warren or General Washington. There is something to be learned from these men. Part of the reason why I do this podcast is so that we can learn about the conduct— Of the founding fathers, it's why I talk about things like slavery and returning to the plantation, the lessons learned, the triumvirate of slavery, this strive to get towards freedom and liberty, as uh, articulated by Mr. Adams, especially uh, by Mr. Mr. John Adams, that is, by way of the Massachusetts Constitution. By the way, did you know that Massachusetts was one of those early states to outlaw slavery as soon as the United States became a thing? Do you know how it happened in Massachusetts? Massachusetts declared it unconstitutional by the state constitution. This was one of those early examples by the way, in Massachusetts of the court system actually doing what it was supposed to do. a lot of a lot of state courts don't do that anymore as a matter of fact, a lot of state courts have gone the other way in marching straight back to the plantation. But in Massachusetts, compliments of the Puritan influence, and the separatist influence, and so on and so forth. In other words, those old-timey puritanical people that we all criticize—well, not all of us. I don't. Hopefully you don't. But those old-timey puritanical principles that people like to use as an insult today when they, when they refer to people as being puritanical, that helped to eliminate slavery in Massachusetts very early on. I believe—I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it was 1783, before the war was even over, and that Constitution was written by who? Mr. John— Adams is largely credited with writing that thing. There's an example. Lead by example. Lead by example. Mr. John Adams get a whole lot of credit for ending slavery in this country in the long run? Not really. Why not? Why isn't Mr. John Adams held up as an example? I mean, it's always that that Emancipation Proclamation, which did not free the slaves, by the way, and Abraham Lincoln, they propped that guy up six ways to Sunday. Mr. John Adams just kind of held in the back row somewhere, not really talked about at all when it comes to eliminating slavery, really makes you wonder. But that's why I talk about the Founding Fathers. That's why we read the letters from our Founding Fathers on this podcast, on this study group, so we can hear about Dr. Warren and we can hear about Mr. Adams and others. The full story. Mr. Adams led by example. Dr. Warren led by example. In different ways. But I think for the same reason, despite any problems with their character They believed in some regard, they they, they really attached themselves to this concept of freedom and liberty. And they were willing to give their all. They were willing to give their everything to see it through. And Dr. Warren demonstrated that quite clearly. When he squared off, he did exactly what I describe as necessary for freedom. And this is where I get this from. He squared off with the British Army. This man took to the field, musket in hand, and squared off with his country's own army, or at the very least what he would describe as the army of the British Empire, of which he was a British subject. Perhaps he would have referred to his country as Massachusetts, and that's fine. I have a very similar sensibility. I have a strong attachment to my state. I consider myself very much a citizen of my state, not just the United States, generally. Because I'm one of those people, I actually like my state. I'm not trying to change it. I'm not trying to screw with it. Me and my state are very similar. And that's the way it should be. And again, if you don't like your state, get out. Or just endure, but don't try to change it. Just get out. And go to a state that does that does model what you believe. And maybe you can fine-tune that. Maybe you can improve it. But don't screw with it. Because that's been done before. It doesn't end well. Anybody in Massachusetts listening to this podcast? By the way, I'm just curious. Roman, why did you just mention Massachusetts right now? Don't worry about it. Anyway, there's a lot to learn from the Founding Fathers. And I wish that the state of Massachusetts would remember a Dr. Warren and John Adams, and they kind of do, and then they kind of don't. They, kinda, they, they acknowledge them really just in passing, but in practice, not so much. John Adams is one of those characters, you know, I really wish I could... If I could spend just a few hours talking to any one of the Founding Fathers, it'd probably be him. And I may have said this before, I don't know, but... I think about this whenever I think about those uh, those people from this time, especially the likes of Dr. Warren and Mr. Adams and whatnot, and Dr. Franklin and, and those guys. But I, I think about, you know, if I could spend a couple hours just talking to any one of them, who would it be? It'd probably be Mr. Adams. I'd probably just ask him a couple of questions, just, just, a, just probably two or three maybe at most in that two hours that I had with him, and I'd just listen. Then I'd just shut up and listen. And then when it was all over, I would probably just apologize. As I'm walking out the door after that two hours that I get to spend with Mr. Adams, I would simply apologize. Somebody might ask, for what? Probably for not being more capable than I am at maintaining what he built. And that's kind of my mindset. You know, while most Americans are heavily distracted with the various moron personalities that exist in this country today, or, you know, chasing the rock stars or the celebrities or whatever— I spend a great deal of my time thinking about that. I think about how, how to maintain this country. And how can I do that in such a way that uh, I actually that we actually succeed here that in maintaining what we have and that we don't lose it? And how do I do right by the Founding Fathers? How do I do right by Mr. Adams or, and a Dr. Warren? I guarantee you the answer to that question is not going to be found in doing things the way that we've been doing them for the last hundred plus years. It's not going to happen. Since we're towards the back end of this episode and I'm getting ready to wrap it up, I'll actually put this out there. In any given election where somebody in Article 2 is elected, if anything like that is scheduled to happen anytime in the near future, contemplate this. No matter who it is, it doesn't matter who you elect. Of all of the people who may be elected, not not obviously the people who would never be elected, but of all of the people who could possibly be elected under present circumstances, All of them, if they were chosen, would violate the Constitution many times within the first year of their office. I don't care who it is. I don't care whose name you throw out there, of anybody who is plausibly going to actually be there. Not the mythological person who has no chance of actually being there, but not your grandma, not your Uncle Leonard, none of those, and not Joe Smith from Fayetteville, but any of the people who could plausibly be there. They will all if they are there, violate the Constitution many times in their first year of office. And this is the winning strategy, so to speak. How? Now, you might say that you're wrong. Oh, Roman, how dare you? There's no way they're going to violate the Constitution several times in their first year. Really? You sure about that? Because I would tell you that every single one of them in my lifetime has done it. That's how I know they're going to do it. Because I've never seen an example where they didn't. Now, for that, you have to take a pretty... Thomas Jefferson view of what the Constitution actually says and doesn't say. You have to take a real George Washington style view of what the Constitution says and doesn't say. You can't go by, you know, the committee of nine morons and what they say about the Constitution. You have to actually go back to the beginning. That's the only way you're going to understand what I'm talking about. And that's why we do this podcast. That's the whole point. And that's why I say things like they don't teach the Constitution in law school, because all the law students out there are going to dispute that with me. Oh, yes, we do. We learn the Constitution. No, you don't. You learn case precedent. You know what I'm talking about. You do not learn the Constitution. You learn what nine morons say about the Constitution. Or, Or other morons. Could be some circuit court, Fifth Circuit, Ninth Circuit, whatever. You learn what those morons say about the Constitution, not what the Founding Fathers said. Because if you did, I would never again hear a lawyer use the word hunting in relation to the Second Amendment. And if you did, I would never hear that stupid letter written by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists ever brought up again in relation to the Constitution and the First Amendment. And I would never hear all this stupid crap of, well, Supreme Court so-and-so, Supreme Court Justice so-and-so issued in his majority of opinion that he said this, that, and the other thing about this, that, and the other thing in the Constitution. I would never hear that crap again. Instead, I would hear, well, John Adams, in his original discourse on this particular issue, in this paper, written in the year of our Lord, 1787, says that this, that, and the other thing, so on, so forth, and we also know that James Madison... Wrote a paper and a document written in the year of our Lord, 1811, and so on and so forth. That's the way you talk about it. I don't ever hear that. And instead, I go back to the beginning. Before one dementia patient after the next, yes, I'm serious, took hold of the Supreme Court and served long beyond their years to the point where they were basically clinically deceased but still occupying the office of Supreme Court Justice, issuing opinions, I go back to the beginning to a coherent John Adams to a coherent James Madison, to a coherent Samuel Adams, to a coherent Dr. Franklin. And I listened to what they had to say. And believe me when I tell you this, I'm in better company than anybody who's talking about Supreme Court case precedent. You can hang out with those morons if you want to. I stand with Mr. Adams and the others. And were they wrong sometimes? Yes. But at least they had some barometer for this that wasn't built on top of a pile of corruption or political ideology. They actually brought the country together. They actually brought the union together. They actually built a framework that would last, that would stand the test of time. The oldest constitutions in this country are not the general constitution some of the time. They're actually the constitutions of the several states that were there in the beginning. I look to that for my frame of government, what that should be. The Declaration of Independence the Constitution, up to and including the Bill of Rights. That's what these men lived, that's what they fought for, and that is what they died for. They built a somewhat flawed, but generally speaking, one of the best forms of government ever conceived by man in the history of the world. And that's why our independent states must be maintained as exactly that, independent states, and why the Union must be preserved. But in order to do that, we got to start solving some problems, otherwise this thing ain't going to make it. It just isn't. And violating the Constitution, the law of the land, six ways to Sunday, as soon as people take office, is not helping. And in the beginning, we did this together. You know, sometimes people today like to think themselves an island unto themselves. They are some independent entity that exists absent any connection to the people around them or the institutions around them, etc. I have no idea where that crap comes from except some cult. It is like some cult mentality. Historically, we've done everything together, whether it was Mecklenburg County in North Carolina coming together or whether it was the people of Massachusetts with their constitution or whether it was the people of the greater United States in the general constitution. We did things together. We made decisions together. We worked together. Even before the United States was the United States, the colonies came together and they made decisions in the Congress but in order to do that, they got to have some kind of a basic framework. they got to have some basic understanding about which way is north, which way is up, and which way is down. The only way we can do that is if we're, all, if we're all operating off the same playbook. Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and by extension, the Bill of Rights. So let us get back to that, and let us remember Dr. Warren and the rest for having sacrificed themselves so that we can have all that and not take it for granted. There are things much more important in this world than TikTok. And we talk a lot about that here on this podcast, and I want to thank everybody for joining me on this episode. And I would like to uh, thank everybody who's uh, new to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining us, and thank you to those who leave comments on the podcast, on the study group. Thank you. And with all that said, this is Roman signing out. Thank you.